the human species is the only one that is capable of creating fiction. Advertising is an interruption. It's an intrusion, unless it is done with exquisite craft. So when you cast yourself as the hero of your story, what you discover is that the listener has stopped empathizing with you. Welcome to the Common Creative Podcast. My name's Paul Fairweather. And I'm Chris Meredith. And Chris and I are on a mission to lift the veil, the lid, uh, the hat on creativity <laughs> in life and business through the lens, the filter of ideas, stories, and visual communication. This week's guest, Neil Ford, I think we're both struggling to kind of come back down to earth after not only an insightful, but a hugely entertaining chat with somebody who's just a natural storyteller, a natural nice person, and a huge inspiration. Yes, uh, Chris, we only recently came across Neil Ford from LA, and uh, what a fantastic storyteller, as you say. Lessons to be learned around uh, storytelling, but more importantly, about gratitude and how to be a good human. He is an absolute inspiration of mine. He's our new best friend, and uh, so let's not leave it any longer. Let's get Neil on. You'll love his voice, uh, Neil Ford. Neil Ford, welcome to the Common Creative Podcast. Oh, well, thank you for having me. This is kind of a thrill. I've, I've been following your work, you two. Neil, great to have you on the show. Very excited, a fellow storyteller. Can't wait to hear what you got. So, Neil, just before we uh, kick off, or as we kick off, can you just give us a very quick potted history of how you got to be where you currently are? And we will obviously describe to people where you're at through the interview. But basically, how did you get to where you were to where you are? Uh, about 30 years ago, I wound up sort of accidentally getting into advertising. It was a case of I was operating in a job and then had uh, a very dangerous situation happen to me and I had to bail out for fear that it would happen again. And so when I went into advertising, I started in the account service side of the business, having gotten a business degree, only to discover that all of the action and fun in the advertising, as far as I could see, was in the creation of the concepts. This was back when advertising was a glorious profession. Lately, courtesy of Facebook and Google, it has robbed it of its marvelous madmen quality and become a, uh, an AI factory and a, and a metric industry. But during that process of 30 years in the business, I was generally the one that would have to explain what the creative idea was. And in the process of that 10,000 hours of pitching concepts, creative ideas to people. I developed, I didn't know it at the time, but I was going to a school on how to communicate ideas effectively through stories. And that has put me in a position now where uh, I was in the live events business only to run up against COVID where every single live event in the world shut down, sending our revenue to zero, and I had to reinvent myself. So inadvertently, storytelling became my sort of Oeuvre, you know, I, I wanted to see what I could do with it. And it has turned out to be an incredibly gratifying thing to send messages out into the world and have them responded to in a way that I never felt or experienced by putting advertising in the world. Advertising is an interruption. It's an intrusion unless it is done with exquisite craft. And the very, very best advertisers try to engage the subject in a conversation. They try to engage them 
You know, the great brands treat their customers as friends, and a friend would never interrupt somebody without some sort of gift attached. They wouldn't dream of lying to them. They wouldn't dream of leaving them with no value other than to brag about themselves. And this is a, the stories are much the same. I'm only telling you this for it to benefit you in some way. You may notice in the stories that I tell on TikTok and Instagram and YouTube that they always have a moral. They're always a little Aesop fable. And at the very end, there's some sort of little summary thought. And I, I do that. I put the button on it that way to say, and this is why I've told you this. I want to leave you with something good. I want to leave you with something that will give you something to think about or or make you feel good or or make you maybe just a little bit sad. But this is this uh Paul in answer to your query. It's 30 years of trying to explain what a concept what an ad is to somebody so that they'll invest in it, not being able to see what it is in real life. And oftentimes I don't know whether this is a good or bad thing. <laughs> But oftentimes they would say to me, you know, the ad isn't as good as what you described. Well, <laughs> sometimes it's uh, true. Neil, just when you're saying that, and one of the first videos I saw of yours was the story about the restaurant of mistaken orders. Where did you hear about that? And that was so wonderfully presented. Such a such a fantastic idea. Uh, well, Paul, the year I had actually come across that about a year and a half ago, and I saw it on. YouTube. And I just thought, what an absolutely lovely idea that this guy Shiro Oguni had to to staff a restaurant with people that were suffering from memory loss and dementia. And everybody that went to the restaurant just accepted the fact that, yeah, there's going to be a lot of wrong orders here, but that's okay. It's all part of just making sure that these people have a place to engage with the world and a place that's a safe space where People understand that it's going to be a wrong order sometimes, and they grant them the grace. You know, uh, what I so love about that tale that I came across was how it made me feel to discover it. And only a year later did it occur to me that I could help other people have the same emotion that I had if I were to bring it to their attention and then attach to it a little bit of a an embellishment, which was to tell that sort of fable about the woman carrying water with the two buckets, one being a very strong bucket and the other one being a leaky one. And uh, for the benefit of your audience now, the the tale goes that a woman would carry w water from a river every day from the river to her home, and she would do so with buckets that were on either end of a bamboo pole. And one of the buckets was new, and one of the buckets was quite old, and it had developed a couple of small leaks. And when she got home with the water, well, the strong bucket will have brought home every drop that she originally filled it with, but the old bucket had lost almost half of its water, and the bucket felt very badly about this and apologized to the old woman for having not done its job very well. And the woman said, look back down that road. Do you see all the flowers growing on your side of the road? You water those flowers every day on that walk, and because of you, my walk to and from the river is filled with beauty. And what I so love about adding that to the story is the almost exact equivalency of 37% wrong orders and half the water gone from the bucket. And it just calls to attention, you know, there's more to life than getting all the water home. The story is so lovely to me because half of the comments that I get on it are, gee, I wish I could go there. 
and experience that. Like it's so many people that want to go to that restaurant. It was a pop-up in Tokyo. They had only done it just to call attention to the uh, the plight and dilemma of memory loss people. But that was so successful as a pop-up, they wound up creating a cafe of mistaken orders because of its success. How fantastic. What I love about it, and, and on your uh, Patreon, which we'll put a link on at the end of the end of the notes and the keynotes, um, was basically this whole thing about you were trying to spread, you know, good positive news about news about gratitude, except you know, as opposed to this tsunami of of negativity. And I don't know if you had it here, but we recently had a, a cafe chain here called the Karen Cafes. And now the Karen, I don't know if the Karen is a thing over there, but and so and this Karen restaurant was you went there to be abused by the staff. You know, the total opposite, you know, of how what you're talking about. And sadly, it has just recently gone broke. So uh, in, in Australia, at least, and it's closed. Uh, I just love the, the, the antithesis of that whole idea that instead of, you know, yes, creating something for people to abuse. You know, I've, I've, I have to ask you, I mean, you, you have a, an awesome reputation as a storyteller. And I think people fall in love with your stories and the messages behind them. Um, and as you know, Paul and I are involved in the business of storytelling. And, but the, the obvious question is, why? Why are stories, why are we drawn to stories? And perhaps more than that, why do f- people find it so difficult to tell stories? Why have we lost touch with the art of storytelling? Well, I believe that it's, it is the most ancient of the art forms. Even in our primate phase, the, the, the thinking is that our species started to really truly develop its brain when it became verbal. When we started to use language, it required more brain power in order to master vocabulary and grammar and so on. Our, our astonishing ability to communicate with one another, you know, I, this is what I am told. I don't know if this is a fact, but what I am told is that the human species is the only one that is capable of creating fiction, that we are the ones that create fiction and can picture it. We, we have histories we project what might happen. And it isn't difficult for us to imagine our, our Neanderthal and primate ancestors sitting around a fire, cooking us some beast, and imagining what the stars mean, and imagining what it would have been like if Okna, one of our mates, hadn't been killed by the bison, and uh, where he goes after he was dead. Well, these things are so ancient, it is baked into us that we should, that this is the, this is just part of our animal. Now, consider what has happened to us since. This was, this was the way that we existed in time. We sat around and this was the way that we, uh, we would told our histories to one another. We, we expressed ourselves and our affections for one another and our dislikes. And when you told it in story form, it allowed the person to visualize possibilities and place themselves in the shoes of the talker, of the speaker. This empathetic reaction is an astonishing ability of people to get along, to place ourselves in each other's experience. And uh, for example, if we go back to the example of the restaurant of mistaken orders, you don't have to have eaten there to have fully experienced the joy of what exists there, to have to empathize with the customers who get the wrong omelet, or empathize with the, the woman who has served it wrong, realizes she served it wrong. And there is, on the contrary, there's no penalty for this. It's the exact opposite. There's only amusement and understanding. Okay, so we don't have to have gone to that restaurant to have experienced it. That is, that is a fabulous 
quality that human beings have. Now, let's talk about your second question, which was, why do you think that people have such difficulty with this art form? Well, my own hypothesis is, we're not sitting around campfires enough. The dinner table is an exquisite place to have more, to hone that art. And I'm just afraid we don't eat with one another as much as we used to. Fast-served food and you know, the fa- everybody broken up and, uh, you know, we don't have multi-generations at the tables. It's uh, it, it's a natural outcome of how we live, but I sort of lament that. we my, my most favorite part of life was when we had our children and they were two and four and we would bring them over to their grandparents. The grandparents lived very close by, no more than three miles away. We would bring them over and all of us would have Sunday dinner together. And it was one, two, three. Three, it was three generations of the family. Well, sometimes four generations of the family sitting around exchanging stories about our experience. Imagine the effect of if you are eight years old or five years old and you are hearing someone who was born in 1918 talking about what life was like back then. Just as I suggested that you could imagine what it was like to be in that restaurant without having gone there. An eight-year-old that hears about a parent who was born before World War I can be there, can understand what life was like before indoor plumbing, before the internet and cell phones and fax machines and this and the space race. Do you know the distance between the first powered flight in Kitty Hawk and man landing on the moon? Tell me how many years you think passed between those two events. I'm guessing... 60. Yeah, I was going to say 60. Yeah, 70 years. That is not a tremendous amount of time, meaning... That somebody born, say, in 1905, that was the year that that happened, they would, have, they would have been able to see men land on the moon. A life experience like that communicated to a 10-year-old is an astonishing gift that we, we simply do not, you know, what can you say? I'm saddened by that, not being a regular phenomenon. It's a, tell you quick, so uh, I'm a father of three. Uh, and by the way, an open fire is a feature of our house in winter, so tonight there'll be an open fire, a log fire. And I remember asking the kids when they were still at home, they were left home, because um, the log fire is quite close to the TV. And I said to them, if you had to choose between the log fire or the TV, which would you choose? And they, without hesitation, I choose the log fire. Log fire has so much more to offer than a TV. It's a, it's a lovely reminder of that. Neil, I just I, have you read the book *Sapiens* by? Uh, oh, uh, have I ever? And I've read uh, the, yeah. the follow-up *Homo Deus* as well. Yeah, but but in *Sapiens*, he he very he very clearly talks about that thing about we believe in the fiction, you know, and it's been our most successful thing um, in that book. Um, yeah, so I love that. And look, just while we're sort of on this storytelling, you you tell these stories and you add your sort of insights and observations and what may be, but you also written or in the process of writing i'm assuming a book and i'm very intrigued about the way that you're presenting it because you put it on your patreon you can get the first chapter audible for free or the first audio chapter and then you're releasing chapters as you go i haven't come across a book like that maybe other people are doing it but i but i love the idea of this sort of serialization of the book and i'm only up to chapter two i believe i've got another chapter still sitting there ready to read and with your fantastic mm. voice, it's absolute pleasure. And it's really quite a, a fantastical story. I love your imaginations going. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the book as opposed to this other stuff that you're doing about trying to spread a message about uh, gratitude and, and good news? 
Yeah, it all works together. By the way, Paul, I'm going to come back to that gratitude thing because that's a very profound point that you raise, and I think we, it deserves to be discussed. But to go back to the book, um, the everybody has told me that I'm that, that I'm doing it the stupidest way you can do it, which is that I am literally writing it and then recording it, and then putting it up. Not I, I kind of know where it ends, but everybody is telling me. Good Lord, you're an idiot because you're not going to be able to just go back and fix your mistakes, you moron. To which I respond, yes, but it's kind of the art form in a way. The whole thing is holistic. I'm doing it because I'm trying to finance a trip to meet the people that have reached out to me to just have a coffee and chat. It's just the coolest thing, Chris and Paul. It is the coolest thing when people say, you know, if you're ever in Terre Haute, Indiana, or if you're ever in Orlando, please look me up. I'll be happy to buy you a beer just so that we can chat. I thought, what a cool idea. And I've done it a few times. I just met with a guy in Minneapolis. It was fantastic. And you know, there's a crazy thing that happens, which is you sit down with these people, you feel like you've known them forever. You're complete strangers. Well, you're not obviously not complete strangers, but you've never met you don't know that much about each other, but man, when you that beer hits your lips and you are off to the races, it's like, well, how many kids do you have? And what's that like? And and you hear these people's live stories in the most astonishingly revealing and candid way. And you just want to sit there for hours. So um the experience is an incredibly gratifying one. And the book is meant to just be a Patreon premium to pay for the gasoline to go on that trip. And I'm it's so far, it's not even covering that, I'm sad to say. <laughs> but you know what? It's not going to stop me. I'm still going out there. So anyway, <laughs> I, I will tell you that there is there are large chunks of that book that are true, and then there are large chunks that I'm making up from whole cloth. Um, <laughs> are you ever going to dissect which is true? Or <laughs> Eventually, yeah. I, I will reveal at the very, very end uh, how much of it is... <laughs> I was on a, a course about writing a long time ago, and there were half a dozen of us and three very talented tutors. And one of the people on the course was brave enough to ask the question, why, I, he said, I, I read mainly technical books with factual stuff or information, and don't read much fiction. And his question was, why do we write? Why do we read fiction? Mm. And um, after a long chat, the group basically arrived at the decision that there's, there's more truth in fiction than there is in factual stuff. There's more insights, yeah. more about human nature, I think, as well. And so I'm, I, I can't wait to read the book. I haven't read it yet. But maybe the truth will be in the fictional chapters. <laughs> well, there you go, Chris. That's a brilliant observation. Yeah, the fiction is the lie that tells the truth. And uh, I believe you learn more. I believe you learn more from reading Dostoevsky that it was written in about 1870 than than a novel, or excuse me, than a uh, business book about how to communicate. Because what you discover, it's quite profound that what you discover is how little human beings have changed since 1870. They're, in fact, they've changed not at all. It's the same ludicrous jealousies, the same stupid fixation on ego. The uh, it's uh, By the way, Brothers Karamazov by Dostoevsky is a fantastic I cannot recommend that book enough. Whenever anybody asks me a book to read, I always choose that because there's such a profound sense of humor to it. And when I say sense of humor, what I mean is, a kind, imagine me just shaking my head 
about the absurdity of the way people are to one another. That's that book. Dostoevsky just <laughs> chuckling to himself about how stupid people can be. And I don't mean stupid in a mean-spirited way. I mean silly. I mean self-defeating. I mean prone to uh, mistakes that are so avoidable if they would only listen to their friends and exist in a world where they have two ears and one mouth. And uh, so in that sense, to go back to your your kind of remark about uh, why, do, why would anybody read fiction? Well, the fiction truly is the human experience. I don't need yeah. a 30-year-old to tell me to be how I'm more efficient. I need somebody to tell me what this is all about. Uh, Neil, I just wanted to make an observation. And I, I just, I love the thing that you talked about, about the four generations, the dinner and that spread. And I've thought about that recently as well. And I sort of think of it about a Venn diagram about the people that are alive today and our family, it's four generations. So, you know, it's close to, my mum's 93, you know, it's close to a, a hundred, uh, you know, there's 90 years there. But, you know, my mum was born in 1921. And uh, 1931, sorry. And um, but you know, she knew her great, you know, grandfather who was born, you know, 80 years before. And and you know, my my nephew who who is one, you know, might live for another 80, 90 years. So there's actually in a generation, it's almost you know, 250 years worth of connection. Now you only not multiply mm. that by eight, and all of a sudden we're back to the year dot. <laughs> you know, so. It's not a lot of right. time, you know, when you look at those connections, and I think that's a very powerful story. I just wanted to bring you back before we forget um, your thing about gratitude, which I think is probably you know part of the crux of of this this episode. You brought up uh, Yuval Harari's book *Sapiens*, and uh, what is so there are some brilliant, brilliant quotes in that book. But one of them that I really think is so profound is the most important stories we tell are the ones we tell ourselves about ourselves. And what I, what I think people are getting heaping tablespoons of is they are being sold a false narrative that human beings are awful. The truth is, much if you read Yuval Harari or you read Sebastian Junger or you read uh, Rutger Bregman, um, he's, he's written a book called Humankind. In each of these books, what they do is present you with the abundant evidence that human beings default to generosity and teamwork, and understanding, and they help one another in crises. Over and over, you will see that when stuff, when events really go bad, human beings are at their best. But unfortunately, it is not the news media's job, as they see it, to do anything except to hold and rivet our attention and bring us back for more. And the rage machine, the algorithms have discovered that there is no surer way to bring somebody back than to make them afraid or upset at somebody else. And then they pick a side. And when they pick a side, they are no longer rational. They believe that everyone that is not one of their tribe is either stupid or evil. Now, this is not the default human setting. That is what we are being fed. And to feed someone long enough on that diet, they will believe it. Well, my personal mission is I am not a big, important person. I don't matter at all. Uh, people will so often say to me, who are you? And I'm thinking, what a funny question. You know, I'm a fellow human, <laughs> man. That's who I am. And I'm trying to I'm trying to be helpful one person at a time, just one story at a time. I'm trying to say, 
It ain't like that, man. My personal experience, I have never met a Karen. I've I've been in danger of being a Karen and then caught myself because of the humanity of other people. L- let me just ask you guys a question, right? I mean, if everybody's so, nobody thinks they're a bad guy. So here's the question for you. Have you ever said something for which you later had to apologize? Of course. Of course you did. <laughs> Have you ever done something which you regretted that was mean to someone else? Have you ever spoken to, about somebody behind their back in an unkind way? Well, yeah, of course we've done those things. It doesn't make you bad. You know, the faster you apologize, the faster you're going to clear your soul and, and not feel bad about yourself. I don't, uh, you know, we're all capable of bad moments. It doesn't mean we're awful. It's just one of those things we have to forgive each other for. And you know, what I see out there in the world is beautiful little gestures of sweetness and generosity. This is the dominant behavior of human beings. If it weren't the dominant behavior, we would have long expired. But we as a species have a magnificent ability to cooperate. And you simply can't sustain that cooperation if people are awful to one another. We're just getting fed a steady diet of BS that is now weaponized and scaled by AI. And what you know how you were saying before about how the kids would rather have the fireplace than the TV? They are reacting mm-hmm. off of an instinct that they may not even be conscious of, which is, stop feeding me this bile. I would rather just talk to you. I have a question about um, the stories we tell ourselves. I think, and maybe, maybe your answer will be that it's because we get it from the media and so on, but a lot of us do tell ourselves negative stories. And I, and I actually yes. think passionately your point, which is that if you tell yourself the right stories, that they become true. But, you know, I'm so useless. I'm always late. I, I never do. You know, me, 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 and I'm, I'm this failure. And, and, and a lot of people have that inside them. And I, I guess my question is, where does that come from? Are we, are we born that way? Or is it, is it something are we building on things that we're fed? Uh, wow, I've got a very, very long answer for you, and I hope this doesn't break the bank. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear it. <laughs> so I'm gonna, here we go. Here, strap in. Uh, there, there was a guy um, who used to run this Stanford design program. He's quite famous because, except for the moment his name escapes me, I'll, I'll find it at the end. But what he used to do at the beginning uh, of this course that he would teach all of these engineers and designers was, I want everybody to pull out a piece of paper. I'm going to give you 30 seconds I want you to look at the person next to you, and I want you to draw their portrait. You have 30 seconds. Go. Start drawing. Okay. So everybody would draw as best they could, but 30 seconds is not a lot of time, and you would often get the most ludicrous potato heads with two dots and a you know slash for a mouth and so forth. And then he would. the exercise was not to see what people had drawn. The exercise was to see what do they say when they show each other the drawings. Can you guys guess what the most common word was that he heard? Sorry. Sorry. Nailed it. Nailed it. Sorry. Okay. Now, nobody going into that class was given, there was no stipulation that said, when you join this class, you have to be a great artist. This was not in the instructions. And yet they all felt some sort of obligation that uh, this, this, since this isn't a, a Rembrandt or a, you know, a Vermeer, I have somehow fallen short. Well, where does that come from? Our fear when we compare ourselves to others, we are afraid of the judgment of our peers. This is an animating force that we all live with. This is why we all buy such ridiculous symbols of success, you know, expensive watches and why we buy fancy cars. Any man 
will tell you, you know, the only reason I even clean up my apartment is because women exist. Otherwise, I wouldn't give a rat's ass about, uh, you know, driving a fancy car or keeping my wardrobe to up to date. It's because we're trying to compete in the marketplace of procreation. Okay. So if people fear the judgment of one another because they know that they're playing this game, this game of trying to find a mate and trying to make it as good as they can be, and you know, like that, well, they spend their entire day ranking themselves against their peers. And the internet creates a hyper-awareness of where you stand, not against your own peer group, but against everyone in the world. Now you're competing with everyone in the world. And why are you not a billionaire, says your mother-in-law. Okay, now I'm going to calm this down. All right. Here's the thing, though. If you go into the world, like I, I did only, this only occurs to me by accident. If you go into the world trying to just be useful and helpful and supportive to people, what you are going to find is it's going to radiate back at you in equal measure. And I have stopped comparing myself to others because I am being fed a steady diet of reinforcement that this is helping people, that they like what I'm making. I'm not making any money from it. Trust me, fellas. I'm not making any money. <laughs> but I am being fed a diet of that is pure uh, goodness. Uh, every once in a while, somebody will make a comment, some snide remark in the comments. And, you know, at first it kind of bothered me. And then I realized the proportion of that is so low. I have no right to ever get upset over somebody's pain. You know, um, Adam Grant, I think his name is, he's an American organizational psychologist. He has, he has this wonderful chart. He shows, I'll just go ahead and draw it because it's the absolute simplicity itself. What he does is he takes this, he goes like this. He says, okay, this circle is the entirety of someone's life that you run into and you interact with. This is how much you know about it. It's just a teensy <laughs> dot. That's all you know about their life. So before you judge, before you get upset at how mean-spirited they're being or how nasty they are to you, I, I heard this veterinarian once make the most wonderful remark, and it was, you know, when an, when an injured animal nips at you, you can hardly blame it for its reaction. And people carry around a lot of pain in ways that you can't see. So you eight out of 10 times, you can't take it personally, man. They're reacting off of something else. In that case, you know, what I'm saying is that all of the, if you're, if you're out there in the world just to see if you can help each other, and I don't, I don't mean the kind of, I'm trying to be helpful at scale. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to put a dent in the universe. Yeah. Trust me. I'm never going to make that dent and I'm not going to try. What I'm just trying to do is to the small circle around me, I'm just trying to keep a, a word of positivity up because people absorb their environment. And, if, and a toxic environment is going to turn you toxic. So if you give them examples and tell them stories, and you guys know I could cite, I could cite statistics all day about the goodness of man versus their, their capacity for evil, and it won't, it won't resonate the way that a, a story will that they, that because mm -hmm. they can place themselves in that tail. So I just wanted to share a quick story. Remember years ago, Neil, there was a book. Uh, I think it was, it was either Don't Sweat the Small Stuff or maybe Chicken Soup for the Soul. And it was this thing about spontaneous acts of, of kindness. Or well, maybe that was the book, yeah. Spontaneous Acts of Kindness. 
Anyway, he told the story about going through a toll booth, and back in these days, he used to throw the dollar coin or $2 coin into the, the booth and about paying it forward and paying for the car behind you. So I did this road trip with a mate of mine up to Noosa, a couple of hours away, in my old black 1959 DS Citroen. Uh, I'm sure it was De Gaulle's car. Um, anyway, and I was telling this story, and he said, oh, this is a great idea, let's do that. So when the first toll boat, booth we did that and he thought this was very funny and we were driving along he said let's go a step further let's give the guy 20 bucks and get him to give the change to the to the, car, <laughs> the car behind us <laughs> anyway the way this tool booth was set up it was a very long ride and it went up to a rise to an overpass and you can still see the tool two toll booth about two kilometers behind us and basically when we got to that rise the car was still there arguing with the yeah, guy. They yeah. <laughs> <laughs> were trying to get money. So our act of kindness went too far uh, and, uh, and, and it backfired. Oh, I don't know. But my friend thought that was even funnier. You gave them a story to tell. for the So that didn't backfire at all. You, they, they will tell that story for years. I, can, I feel like I'm sitting around the campfire right now. I'd love to listen to stories all day. I can I challenge you with this? Some practical advice for people listening, inspired by what you said, what actions can they take? I'm guessing you're going to say switch off the TV. I'm guessing you're going to say make sure you have dinner with your friends and families and talk to them. What, give, give us some practical tips. What can people do to take advantage of this idea of storytelling, of spreading generosity and so on? Well, uh, let's see. Uh, we can do that in a couple of dimensions. There's the, the storytelling tactic I'd like to talk about, and that is don't even... Don't bother telling a story unless you know, unless it's going to have a resounding ending. There must be an ending that leaves the listener with something useful. And it doesn't mean that it's a it, useful in the form of, you know, here are the six things that will get you a better job. I mean, useful in the sense that this will improve your day with some piece of wisdom or, or sympathy or, or a warning of sorts. Okay. The second thing is, and this may be my number one tip to all storytellers. Do not place yourself as the hero of your own story. Don't tell people how wonderful you are. That is a, that's a naive, amateur move. Because people that tell stories where they are the hero, there's this wonderful quote from George Orwell, Eric Blair, where he says, no autobiography is to be trusted unless it reveals something disgraceful. Because any anyone who gives a good account of himself is probably lying since any life when looked at from the inside is really just a series of defeats. So <laughs> when you cast yourself as the hero of your story, what you discover is that the listener has stopped empathizing with you. They have stopped. They're suspicious that this didn't go down the way you are describing. And what's more, that you are when you tell a story where someone else is the hero and you learned something by watching them or you know, it was funny and beautiful by watching them. What happens is they're not, they're not looking at you. They are listening to the story while they stand next to you and observe the events. That it is, it allows the two of you to be syncopated and together in this. It allows them to absorb the lesson as a brother or a sister rather than uh, you trying to be a big shot. I cannot stress strongly enough the aversion I have for people telling me their heroic tales of their own successes. They can just F right off as far as I'm concerned. So that's that's a tactical <laughs> suggestion for you. 
I've got a larger suggestion, which is just as you just as you suspect. That that was an absolutely fantastic ending uh, to this interview because, unfortunately, <laughs> whilst you you and I, Chris, may talk for a couple of days uh, uh, going forward, um, we, we've uh, we've come to our allotted time, and uh, and I think that those those lessons there are basically you know unending in a lesson and giving that lesson about not being the hero of your own story I think is absolutely fantastic yeah. and, a, and a great yeah. a great and, and sad note to end on because uh, we, we could talk all, all day um, but um, thank you Neil it's been absolutely wonderful and My and look you, you mentioned this in there about about um, you know feedback and and this this episode came about because I saw one of your clips on a, on a blog that I follow Swiss Miss and so yes it's been fantastic and we're more than happy to to spread your word, and hopefully we might get some Patreon subscribers from Australia, and you could might uh, come down here and have a have a call. That would be a dream come true, I can assure you. I've, I've been to Australia once when I was working in Hong Kong. Absolutely loved it. Um, the people in Australia and Americans, I think, are spiritual. Thank you, Neil. I, it's, it's been great. I, I wish we could go on all day. It's fantastic listening to you. Chris, wow, that was so so much fun and such great insights what a what a what a what a lovely what a beautiful person a beautiful person and you said uh, he's my new best he's uh, my best friend as well i think there's an insight about storytelling right there that by telling stories from the heart by sharing yourself by being generous it feels so close to somebody i've never met him face to face he's in la and yet i feel so close to him what a wonderful example of the power of storytelling and chance to meet such a wonderful person the link to neil's patreon and other links will be in the in the show notes if you do want to check out his fiction uh story which the first chapter is free and you can listen to that free it is quite interesting we'll see where that that goes but also if you have enjoyed this please tell your friends give us a rating five stars or better if you can and leave a short but positive, grateful review we'll be very grateful for. We'll be very grateful for any feedback and comments, but we love positive ones. And we'll see you next week on the Colin Creative Podcast. <laughs>